Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett. My passion for football and pushing boundaries has helped me to create a successful business using the same performance building principles of the world's best players. Through my Move the Ball book, workshops, and consulting work, I've used the same system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize those tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, everyone. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm glad that you are here with us today. As you all know, on this podcast, we talk about business, branding, sports, and of course, how to move the ball. Now, two things before we get into today's episode. First, and I say this on every show, if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. And secondly, we recently launched the Move the Ball merchandise store. So there is a link in the show notes. Go check that out. Pick up some swag and rock that you are a part of this movement. And if you do get some swag, thank you so much. All right. For today's episode, inside the huddle with us and ready to share his insights and his experiences through his extensive career and also to talk a little bit about the USFL is Ed Hartman. Ed is currently the Executive VP of Business Operations for the USFL, as well as the Senior VP of Digital Partnerships and Wagering for Fox. Throughout Ed's career, he has worked in media and information services companies, as well as in the financial services and investment banking industry for companies such as Caledonia and UBS. Additionally, Ed advises for a number of organizations such as We Are the Mighty. We will talk about all of that and more on today's show. Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jen. It's a privilege to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm excited to chat with you. And we've been messaging for a couple months about having you come on the show. So I'm glad to have you here. Now, the real question is, are you ready to move the ball? Absolutely. Always. All right. So as a podcast host, I'm always thinking about the best place to start our conversation. And before today, I had a different plan. But as they like to say, I'm going to call an audible. So many of my listeners know that I am a service member. I'm an Army Judge Advocate in the National Guard. And because you're involved with this organization, We Are the Mighty, I just wanted to take a minute and share with our listeners, what is that organization about and what are the great things that they're doing? Yeah, so We Are the Mighty is a fantastic organization focused on creating unique content focused on the armed services community. It's run by a very talented gentleman called Mark Harper and Chase Millsap and a very good friend of mine as well, David Harden. And I'm privileged enough to be on their advisory board helping guide them along the path as they look to build a really you know, exciting media company focuses as I said, on servicemen and women in the United States. Well, I think that's fantastic what they're doing. I'm going to have their website in our show notes as well so people can check them out and people can see what they're doing to share service member stories and how they're moving the ball. So Ed, I want to chat with you about your career. Let's run it way, way back. You started off with UBS in Sydney. Tell us, how did you get into that sector? What prompted you to focus on a career in financial services, investment banking? Yeah, look, I think my career has been a bit of a random walk and I've had various epiphanies along the way as to what my ultimate calling in life was. And very early on when I was at university, I kind of had the very firm view that I wanted to be on Wall Street and in financial services. And so that led to me getting my first job at UBS as an analyst in the gaming and leisure sector. And ironically, gaming and leisure is the sector that I'm very much focused on today. But yeah, it was just a kind of premonition at a young age that I wouldn't be focused on financial services and was lucky enough to, at a young age, find myself with a great firm like UBS and keep things off from there. 
Great. And as you continued on, how did you get from Sydney to New York City? Yes, I was kind of the beneficiary of the financial crisis back in 08 and 09. I'd always coveted a role in the US of some capacity. I'd visited here a number of times and really loved the country as I still do and just saw chancing my arm in the US as being the ultimate prize, particularly in finance. And so mm-hmm. when the crisis of 08 and 09 rolled around, all of these big banks were in disarray and people were being laid off and leaving the industry and so on and so forth. And so at quite a young age, I was fortunate to be transferred to New York by UBS. And that was a wonderful opportunity I guess because of the time in the world where there was a lot of opportunity for people who wanted to try and look through the short-term malaise and find it. And that presented itself to me at that period and was a great way for me to get my toe into the US market more broadly. And you'd been traveling to New York before, so you were familiar with that environment before you made the move. But was there anything shocking coming and moving to the Big Apple? No, look, it was, as I said, always a place that I really wanted to work and live in. I must admit that I was terrified that I was completely unqualified to be moving from tiny Australia to US and New York and playing on the big stage. But look, it was everything I hoped for and more. And I think that the best learning experiences and opportunities in life come when you're extended out of your comfort zone. And that was definitely it for me when I arrived. And so we've all taken roles in our career where we feel that way, like, wait a minute, am I re- is this really for me? Can I perform here? Am I not experienced enough? Do I not have this skill set? What advice would you give to people that might be feeling that way as they're taking on a new role, how they can continue to thrive and move the ball, even though they may not feel as confident as they should be in their abilities? Yeah, listen, it's happened to me a number of times throughout my career, and no more so than that first day I arrived in, in New York back in mid-09. And all I'd say is the best opportunities and the best jobs come in life when you're extended and when you're out of your comfort zone. And I think what sets folks apart who really go on and excel in their careers are those that can rise to the occasion and really fill the white space that they didn't they could beforehand. So look, it can be scary at times, but I think that kind of fear is a great motivation to really take it to the next level and, as you'd say, move the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think the experiences that we have are meant to shape us and to grow us and to stretch us in different ways. And those that embrace that and are willing to just get right in and see what it's about are the ones that are really successful in life. As you know, in growing our careers and looking to navigate, and for some people, they're looking for upward mobility. It's all about separation and differentiation, I like to say. So how do you set yourself apart from your peers so that people will want to present these other opportunities to you or be interested in bringing you on their team? What have you done well in your career to really separate yourself from others out there? Yeah, this sounds simplistic, but obviously coming to a different country, being a little bit different with a different accent, those little things don't hurt. So kind of making sure you don't lose sight of the small things in life that can be the ways people recognize you that might not recognize someone else. But more than that, really focusing on personal relationships, face-to-face relationships in a time where before COVID, electronic communication kind of took away a lot of the traditional ways of communicating like being face-to-face or on the phone, particularly post-COVID and you know, during COVID, making sure that you're investing in personal relationships rather than just treating clients or colleagues or other kind of counterparts as someone at the end of an email. That's something I've focused on throughout my career. I think has definitely helped, particularly when I was in financial services, to set me apart from folks simply revert to sending an email or a Bloomberg or something like that. It sounds simple, but it's something I think can really set you apart, particularly in this kind of world we live in where face-to-face communication is becoming less and less prevalent. Sure. And I'm glad that you bring up relationships because I think so many people overlook that. They're focused on the business results, the organizational objectives. They're not remembering the human connection. And at the end of the day, we're all human beings. We all want to connect and feel like we're part of a team and that we matter. And so like you, I mean, I was in Fortune 
50 companies excelled in my career early in my 20s, but people always ask, well, what did you do? Part of that was the personal relationships. I always made it a point to connect with people below me, my peers, above me, and just focus on that human connection. So I think that's so important. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So one of the other things that I think is important, I do a lot of speaking engagements with corporate professionals. And I talk about it, emphasize the importance of getting a mentor or a few mentors. And so have there been some mentors along your journey that have really helped you to continue to excel? Yeah, I've been very, very lucky in that respect. You know, that, um, both at UBS, subsubsequently at Caledonia, the hedge fund I worked at, subsequently at News Corp, and now at Fox, I've been blessed with some fantastic mentors. And I think well, I know most of them, uh, if not all of them, have stemmed either from personal friendships or become personal friendships as a result. And so I think at times you do have to go looking for mentors. And, and again, that comes from a focus on building personal relationships and finding folks who you revere and whose style you appreciate and whose way of conducting themselves you admire. And yeah, look, I feel very lucky to have found at least four or five of those folks throughout my career. And I definitely attribute my move to the US initially, my move from UBS to Caledonia to one of those as well, my move from Caledonia to News Corp again and from News Corp to Fox. So look, I couldn't feel more strongly that mentors are critically important, not just in career progression, but in you know, day-to-day life at any firm and would encourage any folks to actively seek out mentors because, look, there's nothing more flattering to people than being asked for advice. And I think if you just simply ask a senior person or even someone tangential to you for advice and counsel. That's a very quick way of endearing yourself to them. And it's rare that folks won't respond to that positively and look to help you if you take time to ask. Completely agree. And I think it's important too for people to remember, you mentioned asking advice from people. That's the mentor-mentee relationship. It's not about, hey, I need a job. Can you be my mentor to help push my career? It's about getting business advice, guidance from people that have expertise in the areas that you're looking to grow and to develop into. Absolutely. And invariably, every single one of those people that may be more senior, maybe much more senior than you, you've asked for advice, will have been in the same seat as you at some point in their life as well. So, you know, my experience has been that no matter who have asked for that along the way, they've typically taken it as a compliment and as an endearing feature and, and sought to respond very favorably to that. Absolutely. Now, you made an industry switch. You were in financial services, investment banking, hedge funds, and then you went to media. Talk to us about that journey and why you're interested in kind of going in a different direction. Yeah, I mentioned earlier that the random walk of my career thus far has been highlighted by a few kind of random epiphanies along the way. And I literally woke up one day back in late 2015, early 2016, and decided I didn't want to be in finance anymore. It had really been all I'd known in my career to that point, but just decided that wasn't for me and I wanted to find what was next. And I told my wife that at the time, and she was, I think, probably horrified deep down, but supportive outwardly. And I was going to just take some time to think about what I wanted to do next and make the next step from there. During that period of kind of winding down at my last role in financial services, I was going around doing what we just discussed and kind of speaking to people I respected, asking their advice and just telling them that I was leaving the industry and going to find the next thing in my life. And that ultimately led to an opportunity at News Corp, which I was excited about and was, again, kind of a new challenge for me in a new industry focused on topics that I was very familiar with in mergers and acquisitions, but still a new industry and different life for me in in corporate rather than kind of financial America that really came about via a kind of random informational mentor-to-mentor discussion. And it was a great change and haven't looked back since. And what was the biggest change between this industry versus financial services for you? Yeah, I think this is probably more of an observation about corporate America versus Wall Street rather than media specifically. But I feel a lot more 
stability in corporate life rather than on Wall Street. Things can be pretty volatile and fairly cutthroat, particularly when the market's not behaving itself well. And so there is a stability and somewhat of a calmness in corporate life that I definitely have found a change. And there's definitely a different pace of work, not to say you don't work equally as hard, if not harder, but definitely just a pace of work and longevity, which differs to the kind of the short-term transactional nature of finance. I think the thing that I've loved the most, and again, it's not specific to media, it's more specific to corporate America versus Wall Street, is that you actually do have a personal fulfillment around building something tangible. In finance, whether you're trading or investing, a lot of it is, most of it's transactional and there's no permanent recognition of what you're actually building or contributing, whereas whatever industry you're in, when you work for a corporation, there is very tangible evidence of what you're building, whether it be newspapers or TV stations or football leagues, whatever it might be. I find that to be incredibly satisfying. And similarly, you know, the two media companies that I've been lucky enough to work for so far in News Corp and Fox have a diverse range of businesses that they're involved in, all either directly in the middle of the fairway in the media world or definitely tangential to media. And so having a kind of broad exposure to all News Corp businesses and now Foxes has been a great learning experience for me and definitely kept me on my toes. Nice. So something you mentioned earlier was COVID. And, you know, we've all had to adjust and adapt over the past two years living in this pandemic and from building relationships to doing things digitally. What were some of the things that you and your team at Fox had to do to adapt and adjust and do differently so that you guys can continue to move the ball in this new environment? Yeah, frankly, I've been blown away by how well the teams that I've been on at Fox during that period have been able to function. My previous team helping oversee corporate development at Fox Corporation, we did several deals, diligence several deals and closed several deals during COVID without ever meeting anyone in person. So the fact that you can look back on that now and appreciate that happened is quite extraordinary. And I think that applies probably more broadly throughout America and the world. The way that corporations have been able to adapt to this new world has, has been, I think, quite incredible. But look, I think there's obviously some downsides to that and hiring people integrating new folks into a team is very difficult, not the least for the person who the new hire. And so I've tried to be very mindful of that as we've kind of brought people on board and sought to get them on a trajectory with us. But look, now the world's starting to normalise, I think, where we can safely get people back together in person. We really are trying to do that as much as possible. And I think people look to be thriving when they do have that kind of human connection that's been missing for the best part of two and a half years. But yeah, look, it's kind of a roundabout answer. But I think the quicker we can get people back to really connecting as humans face-to-face, the better for everyone, not just businesses, but people in general. Sure. And experiences teach us all kinds of lessons. What has this COVID pandemic kind of taught for you personally? Like, what have you taken away from the last couple of years and come to really appreciate because of it? Yeah. I mean, as you can tell and your listeners can tell, I'm from a country 10,000 miles away. And so the amount of time I get to spend with my family, even pre-COVID, was limited compared to a lot of folks and was non-existent for the last two and a half years. So just valuing the time that you have to spend with friends and family and colleagues in person because you never know when, God forbid, another pandemic's around the corner or some other reason you can't see them for a long period of time. So it's really made me appreciate even more how much human connection in person is worth and not taking that for granted at any point in time. For sure. So what I want to do now is I want to transition and talk about the USFL. You guys are currently in season, exciting time, exciting brand of professional spring football. And the league had their inaugural game on April 16th. 
It was broadcasting over 130 countries. It aired on Fox, FS1, multiple networks. What was it like? I know that you were there. You posted about it on LinkedIn and had some pictures with your family, said how it was an exciting day, one of the best days of my family and also the best day of my career thus far. Share with us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, it was just an incredible day, personally, professionally, I think, for all those that were there in person, for all those that were watching in the US and around the world. It was a culmination of many months of really hard work by an amazing team who we were set the task last year of building this league from scratch. And it's the very kind of Fox thing to do. I don't think if you'd done it before or if you weren't Fox, you would even try because I can't begin to explain the magnitude of the lift and what we as a collective team pulled together and achieved. But to stand there um, on the field that day and see the teams run on and the game come to fruition and be watched by over three, well over three million people in the US and many more on top of that around the world. I think we definitely breathe the collective sigh of relief, but also just an incredible amount of pride to reach that point. And it was just the beginning of many new beginnings that were built every week since then. But look, it was a great game. The home team, Birmingham Stallions, won in front of a very energetic and big crowd. And so, yeah, it was an amazing night and, and one me and I know my team will never forget. Oh, it sounds like an incredible experience. I'm glad that you're able to be there in person. Very exciting time for sure. Now, the USFL says that they're a new era of professional football. You guys have multiple sky cams, so people can see football from various angles. Two players from each team is going to have helmet cams on. You've got 16 players mic'd up each game. What else does the new era of professional football mean in your mind? Look, it's definitely the access that you've described. And I think for those of you listeners that have managed to watch one of the broadcasts right now, you know, I watch all the replays from there in person on the weekends, but the level of access to the coaches, to the players, the sounds, the images of the game are like nothing I think I know I've ever seen before. I think it has ever been seen with professional football before. And so that's amazingly unique. And every week the broadcasts keep getting better. But objectively, that being able to listen to the coaches call the plays or the actual sound when they hits take place or the play calls or what the players are saying to each other it's or the refs. It's an incredible access that really sets us apart. I think even before that, the opportunity we're giving to all our players to really chase their dream, we feel very proud of. And we have an incredible group of players. And I'm super confident that we'll see several of them go to the NFL and get their chance this fall, given the way they're playing. But I think we feel giving these players a platform to show their skills, not just on a national scale, but on a global scale, and use that, hopefully, at some point to leverage into an NFL opportunity is pretty special to us. And Something we think is obviously unique in the football landscape, you know, today. Separate to that, the way we're running our business is different to how previous attempts at spring football have done so. We're very focused on building a sustainable business model. And part of that is having all our teams located in Birmingham, Alabama for this season and potentially one or two seasons to come. And that's a unique experience. Players are living together and, and close proximity. And so it's a different dynamic, I think, to many of them than many of them are used to before. So. Look, that sets us apart from a business model perspective and also from kind of a relationship perspective. These players are seeing each other every day and, and then playing on the weekends, which is quite unique. So, so look, I think we're unique in many ways, but the access you mentioned at the start is pretty special and, and I'd encourage those that haven't tuned into a game yet to do so because I don't think you'll see a broadcast like it anytime soon. 
Yeah, I think it's fantastic what you're doing in the league. I think it's great to have them all co-located there in Birmingham. Also, from a cost standpoint, it reduces operating costs. So that's always an important component of having a startup business as well. And so I'm just excited to see what all of you guys continue to do. And I know a number of guys that are playing on the team. So excited to see them continue on the season. And hopefully some of them will get their shot in the NFL this fall. So the USFL is a business. It's a startup. This is the first season. Like any other business that's starting up, there's a lot of challenges that go into that. And I've been familiar with other leagues that have been starting up, being a part of them. Can you share with us some of the challenges? I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into this over the last many, many months, right? Share with us a few of the things that you guys had to really work out and challenges to get to the point of being able to launch on April 16th. Yes. So like any startup or any business, hiring great people is the bedrock on which everything's built. And we are very fortunate to have an incredible team of people, both in business ops and football ops. The team we're built, I think, is second to none. And without that team, we wouldn't have achieved what we've done so far. Similar to that, we're very fortunate to have the ownership and backing of Fox. And part of that relationship or a big part of that relationship means that we can leverage the expertise and the might of Fox across many different functions, whether it be the time and expertise of the CEO of Fox Sports, Eric Shanks, or any other Fox Sports executive for that matter, or whether it be Fox HR or legal or finance, you know, having that resource to draw on is a massive asset for us and really sets us apart from other attempts at, at spring football. And without that, I really don't think we'd be able to deliver the results we have thus far and we continue to deliver in the future. Outside of that, we've got incredible hosts in Birmingham, Alabama. We've got a great relationship with the city and with the elected officials there, but it takes time to build those relationships. And so getting that trust built up between us and the city definitely has been something we've been very focused on and feel like we're in a great place now to grow from. But I wouldn't say it's a challenge. It's definitely been a focus for us and definitely we think a key part of our success thus far into the future. And you mentioned you know, hiring great people. I mean, you have a great coaches, great experienced staff there, great personnel running the league. And something I want to share with the listeners is you guys have over a million followers across the USFL, social channels, team accounts, and that's quite an impressive accomplishment to have so far. What have you been doing to help? I mean, obviously advertising on Fox about the league, but what are some of the other things, best practices, things that you would share that has helped you to amass such a following in such a quick amount of time? Yeah, so social has been an amazing success for us and we feel very fortunate to have literally the entire Fox Sports Digital and Fox Sports Social team driving that initiative and they're best in class. They do an incredible job with the other Fox properties but what they've achieved with USFL in a short period of time, as you mentioned, over a million followers across platforms. The engagement they see on socials is incredible. And so, again, I feel very fortunate that we didn't have to hire that team. We have that team at our disposal. They're doing an incredible job and creating incredible content. So I think that's really the secret weapon is having that many number of incredible executives at our disposal because our relationship with Fox is the key to our success on that front. Outside of that, you know, we've been able to leverage Fox's reach to good effect. Obviously, we have a really extensive number of television stations locally that we use to help get the message out there. We flex our national assets across Fox News, Fox Entertainment, and Fox Sports to really promote the league. And the other thing I'd be remiss not to mention is we have an incredible partnership with NBC. And NBC have been, one, an incredible partner from a broadcast perspective, but two, an incredible promotional partner as well. So, So their local stations as well have been doing a great job promoting us their digital channels and social channels and their national assets. For example, they ran a promo on the USFL during their pre-game Super Bowl show back a few months ago. So 
having not one but two of the biggest media companies in the country promoting us has definitely been, been a pretty potent combination. Oh, I love it. I think you guys are doing all the right things. And you talk about access, right? Giving fans access to kind of more about football and being mic'd up, having multiple views. I mean, the fan experience is a thing that's very important to getting an audience engaged. No matter what it is that you're doing, whether it's football or some other entertainment space, you got to get your fans engaged and excited about what it is you're doing, connecting them and building those relationships with the fan base. And so I think you guys are doing a fantastic job so far and can't wait to see the continued success of the league. So you guys had a draft before the kickoff, February 22nd and 23rd were your draft days, 35 rounds. How was that draft experience like? It was fantastic. We had it in person there in Protective Stadium in Birmingham and went, I think, as well as it could have for a first season and coaches enjoyed it and it was a lively event and, and we actually had all the quarterbacks, uh, all the first-round quarterbacks there in person, which was great as well. What's been really interesting to watch is how some of the stories that have come out of that draft and some of the players that weren't drafted as early as you might expect really come out in shine and so that's been wonderful to see from the league, which is really focused on bringing along emerging talent. But yeah, it was a great experience and it was featured in the documentary United by Football, which, as you know, airs before the broadcast game on Fox each weekend. And look, I think we'll grow on it next year, but it was a great first draft and we're very proud of the results that came out of it. And when you look back at your USFL journey, what has been the most exciting part of this journey? I mean, lots of moments that I'm sure have been incredible, but what has been the most exciting for you? Yeah, it's a good question. There's so many, but I think, as I said earlier, seeing those two teams, the Birmingham Stallions and New Jersey Generals, run onto the field on April 16th for the first time, watching the flyover, which was incredibly heart-moving and patriotic, the big American flag and the anthem, and, and just seeing all those elements fall into place to an incredibly passionate local crowd, that, to me, was very hard to top. Now, ultimately, every week, I really think, We've aimed to get better and we have gotten better in every kind of element of what we've done. And so it's kind of been deja vu every week since that. But ultimately, I don't think anyone, any of us will forget that evening on April 16th and the, what that was a combination of. And as I said, it's hard to believe it gets better every week, but it does. And we're super excited for the next six weeks of the season and ultimately our postseason should have been played in Canada higher. Nice. And as you're describing it, I was getting chills. I wasn't even there and it was so exciting. So I know it was an incredible experience for you to be a part of and good to see everything kind of just come together and kick off. So Ed, what I want to do now is I want to take you through my two minute drill and ask you some fun questions to close the show. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right. The first question is when you were 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? I actually wanted to be a sports photographer, so I haven't oh. strayed that far from that mission or bit. I don't pick up a camera often nowadays, but yeah, a sports photographer. Are we going to see you on the field soon there, snapping some photos? <laughs> Hopefully not. I'm not, not particularly <laughs> talented, but, but yeah, maybe one day. My next question is, what three words would you use to describe yourself? In my working life, I'd say fair, hardworking, and honest. In my family life, which is the most important thing to me, I, I would say Family first, it's two words, but that's probably the best way I could describe that part of my life. It's a lot of words, but that's the best answer I've got for you. I think it's important. I think as, for me, especially as I get older, you know, family first has become more important, especially in these COVID times, for sure. The next question is, what is one thing that most people don't know about you? I'd say most people wouldn't know that I'm an ultra marathoner. I ran 200 mile races last year. Sadly, the USFL job hasn't been great for my running this year. I haven't a lot of time to run. But yeah, I've run more marathons than I can remember and, and 200 mile races last year. So that's something a little bit different. Wow, very impressive. 
Now, if you had an intro song played at all of your public appearances, what would that one song be? Minute Work, Land Down Under. Okay. <laughs> My next question is, what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? I'm actually reading Jay Glazer's book, which the name escapes me. Isn't it Unbreakable? Exactly, Unbreakable. Jay came to Birmingham the week of our first game and gave an amazing talk on mental health to all our players and staff. And we gathered a copy of his book to everyone in the league. And I'm almost finished with it, but it's a tremendously honest and kind of raw assessment of his experience. And I'd recommend to anyone. It's a fantastic book, which, as I said, is quite a, quite a read. Well, that's awesome. And Jay is a fantastic person. And I know mental health is something that's very important to him. He's involved in a number of organizations, including one called Merging Vets and Players, which I'll just give a shout out to all of those folks that are part of the MVP family because they, they focus on mental health for veterans as well as for professional athletes. My next question is, you are hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? You're going to cheer up. I'd invite my late brother, who I lost a couple of years ago because I miss him. and then. I'd probably invite my parents as well, trying to get to see them a couple of times a year. So, so it's a little bit of a boring answer and stuck to family, but it's probably the best I got. They're important. Great answer for sure. So now this last question is, do you sing in the shower? Uh, I do not. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Ed, as we look to close the show, and first of all, thank you again for your time. Where can they follow you? I will have all the USFL social links in our show notes, but where are you at on social media? Yeah, I'm probably most active on Twitter and on and LinkedIn. My Twitter is EJ Hartman CA and LinkedIn's obviously my name. So that's where I put most of my public posts. And look, most of it's about the USFL right now, but I try to kind of make some observations about sports and media and, and sports wagering more broadly outside of that, but, but very USFL focused right now. And we'll have those social links in our show notes so people can follow you and keep up with all the great things that you are doing and all the great stuff the USFL is doing as well. Thank you so much again, Ed, for being on the show today. Thanks so much, Jen. I appreciate it. It has been a true pleasure. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you have not done so, again, a reminder, make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you never miss a future episode. All right, everyone. Thanks again so much. And we'll catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball in your business, with your brand, or your career, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode, and also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.